welcome back to the second part of episode 50. Here we're going to run down some of our best and greatest interviews from our first 50 episodes. Nick, who do we got first? Up first, our very first guest way back in the day was Kenyatta Smith, former Harvard basketball player who was part of the best Harvard teams in their school's history, made it to March Madness when he was a player there, my high school teammate, but uh, he granted us a nice interview at his place and he talked about his experience playing for Harvard, putting on for his school, and uh, just the overall experience of playing in March Madness. Yeah, yeah. You, play, you played well in every tournament game you played, I feel like. There's yeah, yeah, it's, it's, you know, like you held your own against mm-hmm. every year. I mean, and also, just doing the research here, I don't know if you knew this, but you never missed a free throw in the NCAA tournament. I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> For you, I did not know that. Um, so, you know, you can let the people know if you want. Either way, I mean, <laughs> any of your games, you know, I think the, the game, um, one game you had 10 and 7. Yeah. I think this was turn 13. And you, you fouled it out of the game, so yeah. you got, you know, some foul trouble early. You could have had an even larger game. Is that easy New Mexico? Mexico. Yeah, yeah, that's that was New Mexico. I New Mexico. Yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah I want to ask you more yeah, about right? that game because, yeah, because I mean, that was your first win in the tournament. And, I personally remember watching that game. Uh, you know, it was it was a fourteen three upset. You know, the country was all watching that game because right. Harvard was in the tournament, and um, I remember you had a nice little uh, baseline hook shot. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the that's that probably too, the yeah. first time I ever used my left. Hand. <laughs> 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 I probably ever used my left hand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah what was that game like, man? I mean, I'm sure you remember. I'll ever get the yeah, game I played in. I remember, yeah, so. I mean, I, like I didn't really play my freshman attorney, so that's like my first. That was my first huge national stage, like caliber right. level game. Um, and even so, I think my yeah, no, I think we were my freshman year. We were a twelve seed, and Vandy was a five. So I mean, yeah, you were yeah. having New Mexico be like a three seed, and I was coming as like the underdog fourteen. Right. Um, looking at Buster Bracket was was it was crazy. I think I was more nervous for that game than like. I don't even CIF championship, CIF championship, like yeah. or like even the North Carolina game, like I a game you more. knew you were going to be featured. Yeah, in. exactly. Yeah. Um, but going down and starting against a team like that, and I'm trying to think back to like the the first half really because the first four minutes when we got to the under 16 minute timeout was like when all the jitters like really went yeah. away. It's like, I mean, oh, you guys, this is it's a basketball game. Like, you guys were up four at halftime. My whole life. You're up four at yeah. halftime. So I mean, going in, you got to be confident in that game, right? No, absolutely. I think half. once we were able to prove to ourselves that hey, we're we're playing with these big boys, yeah. like we got we got a shot, exactly. like, we're nailing, we're we're hitting our shots. Guys are getting open, we're working hard in the post. Um, we're rebounding like it's. I think we had to prove to ourselves that like this wasn't some supernatural <laughs> feat. Right? You know, yeah. Still a basketball game. I mean, we had, yeah. You're still playing basketball. Exactly. You guys as far as we're concerned, we were still like a very young group. I mean, we were we kind of felt like we were trying to find our footing, our footing all season. And I remember that was the year like Princeton lost a couple of key games, and we still we stepped up and were able to step in that spot. But no, I mean, we were still a very young team, but we kind of had to find our confidence and like our you know, our playing in each other and just I know, we picked each other up the entire way. Yeah. I'm like this is another game. We got a shot to win. Let's go do it. Was there a moment like, where? I mean, and leading up, you're a basketball player, so you're going in, you're like, you, you, when you step on the court, you're saying, I'm the best player on the court, or, you know, you're yeah. saying, we're better than them, and you have that confidence. Is there a moment where, even though you're telling yourself that, it hits, and you're like, all right, wait, we actually are, and I think we're for, actually going to do this? I think for any for any player, it's like, when you hit that first shot, mm-hmm. like, it's like you're able to like get past a guy and get a layup, or 
that post move, that turn and hook, that it lands. It's like, all right, well, I'm gonna keep doing that. That one's gonna go in, like, I'm gonna keep making sure these other ones do it. And whatever move you make, it's just like making it hard, making sure like you either do your damage because the basket if it doesn't go in, like you get the rebound, if not, you try to draw a foul, like you just you gotta make a move and like have something positive come out of it, not just feel like, oh, that's a do yeah. over, oh that's a stupid exactly. shot. Like you just gotta get get your move and just really get something to fall. Yeah. yeah again I remember watching that game and I remember exactly where I was because I was like had to do a study session or something it was like final for me <laughs> yeah. and I wanted to watch these games so I go back in my car and I just like pull up my computer I'm still close enough to the library where there's Wi-Fi coming <laughs> in and so I'm like I need to watch this game I'm watching you guys and it's like the announcer used to be a Lakers announcer so it's like I hear this guy who I always listen to on the radio saying your name and it's like that's yeah I know, I know that guy and then I see you guys have this comeback I see your hook shot and I'm just like in my car celebrating to nobody and uh i just remember that and it was it was awesome because so after you guys win that it's a 14-3 upset everyone's talking about you espn what is that like to know that you actually accomplished that it was um definitely nothing like we've ever experienced before and mm-hmm. something that we tried not to get too caught up in because of course it's exciting you go back to the hotel after team meal after your team meeting get ready for like next tomorrow's practice because yeah. i mean no matter what happens, you you obviously want to think that okay, this is not the last game of the season. Yeah, exactly. Like we're gonna we're gonna be on the court tomorrow practicing. We're gonna be playing wherever the next day. Um, you that that needs to be your mindset. But like to actually go back to the hotel after a huge one like that, turn on the TV, like see the highlights on. Right. It's like wait, Like I remember that night, like we had our entire team got into a room. We were just like watching ESPN, like. I think that's the first time we got more than like 10 seconds of highlights <laughs> on ESPN or what, sports or whatever. We were just like all hyped, but um, we were all in the room and like our captain at the time said, it sounds like this is dope, this is great and all, but like tomorrow we got practice and we got Arizona. Right. Arizona on uh, Saturday. Rolling on here, another high school friend, uh, someone that I went to high school with, Dylan Covey, uh, who pitched at USD. Uh, has been drafted and then now is a member of the Chicago White Sox. Uh, So we caught up with him when he was in L.A. playing, and this is what happened. Yeah, and and going back to, you know, just growing up here and obviously going to high school with Jesse, which is how this all sort of kind of came to be, uh, what we want to know is if you had any, what your fondest memory or the funniest memory you had of Jesse was in high school. Well, he certainly <laughs> did some interesting things. Oh having my been, gosh. Yeah, having been his friend since okay. uh, we were in seventh grade, there's quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, I remember always, you know, going to the, the dances or whatever at, at, uh, <laughs> in high school. And yeah. uh, Jesse had this uh, alter ego, I guess, called DJ Swine, I think. I yep, think it the was. Divine Swine. Oh, still, yeah. still going. Still, yeah. still going. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, he was always. Right in the middle of the dance floor, just uh, dripping in sweat, and yep. just you know, uh, was always the, the life of the dance floor. So that was definitely something that sticks out in my head. And, and for you this year, obviously you made your debut back in April, which is a dream come true for you, I'm sure. Uh, just stepping on that mound, I think it was at Target Field. Uh, yeah, because uh, it was like you rained out a week or something, and you had to wait a week yeah, for that. But yeah. finally stepping on that mound and throwing those pitches. Just what was going through your mind, and uh, your parents, I'm assuming, came out and family came out. Just yeah. take me through that. Um, yeah, so got my first start got uh, rained out. So I was the fifth spot in the rotation because Carlos had uh, some like bicep tendonitis or something like that. So I was filling in for him. Um, 
first star gets rained out and then there's an off day in there somewhere so they have the ability to skip my start um, without anyone going on short rest so obviously being a rule five being a rookie you know they're gonna do that being early on in the season so they flew me back to Arizona I threw six innings in Arizona just to get my work in and they flew me back so we go to Minnesota and they're like all right you're starting this game um, and then that game gets delayed for like an hour yeah so I'm sitting in the locker room just like and this is like you know this is my first start I'm nervous um, I'm anxious and then you know throwing the bullpen before the game I'm just like trying to like hit the glove you know yeah. just trying not to make a fool of myself and then I once I face the first hitter and I think he got a base hit but uh, <laughs> uh, once I kind of like just threw a few pitches off the mound and kind of like felt what the atmosphere was like it was just like another game and so, uh, yeah settled in I pitched pretty well for a for a debut I went like five and a third or five and five and a third I think one run and yeah I got the no decision but I got you know I got a a beer shower afterwards and nice. uh yeah. as it happens yeah. was it was it kind of comforting to know that you know I know like Danny Beckwith and Christian were there and Kenny yeah. was there was it kind of comforting to know they were up there in the stands yeah that was cool because um that morning Danny and Christian had been texting me be like hey man are you like is this game gonna happen I'm like dude I don't know and they're like all right well we're coming yeah <laughs> we're, we're coming and if, it, if you pitch great if you don't whatever and so that was really cool that you know they were there so it's Kimmy Danny Christian my dad and then Kimmy's dad um, they were all there and uh, yeah, it was it was super cool super cool and I pitched well so yeah. that made it even better and, and besides just uh, your first game and everything like that has, has there were there any other moments like kind of like your welcome to the majors moment or a hitter you faced or a stadium you were at where it's like all right this is pretty cool um, First game facing Joe Maurer was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I don't think he got a hit off me. I might have walked him. I don't think I did, but I, he, I think he was like over one, over two off me or something like that. The so highest hitting cool. average catcher of all time. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was cool. Um, I faced pitching in New York was cool. I got shelled, but. Uh, that was that was really cool pitching it uh, against Baltimore's lineup. They got some some big names Machado Chris Davis yeah. uh, Trumbo Facing those guys is cool uh, I think my Welcome to the big leagues moment was probably when I pitched against the Padres in Chicago I I didn't get a quality start or anything like that, but I think I struck out nine and Four and two thirds, or four and a third. Um, so yeah, that was pretty cool. That's the most I've struck out, I think, in my career. And I don't know what happened, but <laughs> uh, yeah, that was cool. And well, you guys got a couple high school friends in the pod. I got you beat. I got a middle school and a preschool friend down. That was our good buddies Joe Nablizio and Jonah Rosenbaum. Joe, a graduate of the Ohio State University, Jonah of Michigan. So we had them on to discuss some of their rivalry tendencies mm -hmm. and all that good banter. Uh, the reason that we have brought on Joe and Jonah today, they uh, went to two prestigious schools. As far as college football history goes, you know, both have their place amongst the greats. Joe, uh, an alumnus of Ohio State 
and Jonah of the University of Michigan. Um, and so we'll get later the podcast. We'll get into some real, you know, some real gritty arguments, some down and dirty stuff. Go over, you know, whatever they'd like to talk about between those two is a tradition rivalry. I, I got to say, you know, the last ten years really has belonged to Ohio State more than anything. And Joe, I'm also proud of you for not correcting. Uh, I, I did you see? I know you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe wanted to say the. Ohio yeah. State. I didn't want to, and not only did he not say the Ohio State <laughs> University, but he also said the University of Michigan. Oh, I didn't Ooh. catch that. I was I didn't extra catch that. angry. <laughs> like, was that intentional? Was that intentional? I saw That's such a cool thing that yeah. you insist on putting the in front of your school. Same with the school. Doesn't... What do you want me to do? Like, I'm not going to call it by another name. Well, maybe Ohio State, like, you know, what it's called. I mean, I call my school by the name that it says on my diploma. I never even got a diploma, I don't think. It came to the wrong address, but... Ouch. Oh, I was going to say, you didn't graduate. <laughs> no, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did graduate. He's over here like, like, I didn't get a diploma. You let someone else get savvy, yeah. Well, I don't think it's about the piece of paper. Oh, we're going that route. I'm okay. proud of mine. I have it up in my room. Okay. Next up, we had Stefan Harin, a friend of mine from college, and he lacked dog, but now an associate scout for the Dodgers comes from a pretty rich history uh, as far as his family goes in Dodger Nation. Had played with the Yossiel Police, we talked about that, and of course was a player to be named later for Shane Victorino. Jesse loved that, so here's his interview. Before we get to the trade, obviously, uh, which I think Jesse can talk to you about because he has some specific feelings about uh, yeah. Shane Victorino, but uh, before that, uh, I know 2012 was the year that the Dodgers drafted Yossiel Puig, yeah. or not drafted him, but signed yeah. him out of, the, out of Cuba. And you played with him, right? Yeah, I did. Right? Yeah, you, yeah. We're actually friends, you're still friends with him. Yeah, still good friends. Um, we were actually his locker was right next to mine. Wow. Uh, so I, I actually got to know him really well when he was with us for about a month in Arizona. Um, and it was funny because you know when the rumors came out, Dodger signed Yasiel Puig. He was like this big time Cuban prospect. Uh, my dad texted me. And he said, "Hey, you know, have you met Yasiel yet?" I said, "I said, yeah, I met him. He's you know he's a really nice guy. He's like and but there were like." You know, this guy's 21 years old. He's yeah. six foot two, 240 pounds. My dad says, "Is he really 21 years old?" <laughs> and I said, "Dad, I was like, I'm 21. He's 21. When I stand next to him, I say, there's no way he's 21 years old. Yeah. Like, you talk. I was like, you talk to him for five minutes, and you get to know him, and you definitely see that he's still a kid. He's definitely 21. Yeah. yeah so, right. and I think now that he's been on the big league stage for the last four years, I think everybody can kind of understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. I mean, he he is a little kid in a grown man's body. <laughs> so the eclipse video last night. Yes. Oh, it, was, it was hilarious. It was hilarious. It was hilarious. I think, yeah, and that's I mean, one of the things, funny thing, when we met Puig last week, he you know, shook her hand and said Puig, and that was probably, like, the one thing I really wanted him to say. And I was just like, <laughs> the funniest thing, you know, just like, if it was just like me, just come and be like, Sully, yeah. Sully. I don't know, it's just, he seems like, I think that's a, a great way to describe it, you know, it's like, yeah. when you meet the guy, it's really like, oh yeah, this is this is what everyone expects it to be, you know, yeah. there's no way that he's older than he can be. Yeah, I, I have a couple of stories that just kind of perfectly describe his personality. You got, you got one for us? Yeah. Feel free to share. Oh well, I mean, I think a lot of like like a lot of people criticize the way he played the game yeah. right from the start, you know. But I mean, he he grew up in Cuba where you play with confidence, you play with arrogance, and over there, no one gets offended by it because everybody does it. Um, so I remember because when he was with us, I was leading off a lot of games. So when you have either like a rehab guy or a guy like Yasiel they automatically put him at leadoff spot to get him the most amount yeah. of ABs. So his first game, I think we were playing the Giants, and first AB he walks, uh, like on four pitches, so I'm hitting right behind him. 
and he's on first base and he's literally like toying with the with the pitcher. He's like jumping up and down and like, you know, kind of like a Jackie Robinson yeah, would mm-hmm. do, but like you know, it was it was something I'd never seen before. I was like, "What is this guy doing over there?" <laughs> so then he ends up stealing second base. Yeah, and he does the exact same thing at second base. And now he's right behind the pitcher. I have an, I have a clear view of what he's doing, <laughs> and he's jumping up and down. He's like toying. He's trying to get the pitcher to pick off, but like the pitcher's like looking at him, like, "What is this guy doing?" You know. So, you know, when I saw that, I was like, "Great, I'm gonna. If this guy's here for a couple months, I'm definitely gonna wear at least 10. In, in my back, as like, because people are gonna get annoyed. They're gonna be like, "Oh, I'm gonna, you know, they're not. I'm not gonna hit the guy that's doing it. I'm gonna hit the guy that's right behind him, you oh, know." Man. So I was like, "Oh man," I was like, "This guy's gonna get me, gonna get me drilled like ten times." And then in the AZL, you have all these Latin players or even American players that are getting it up there at 95, 98 miles an hour. That just the reason they're there is because they can't really command the zone. <laughs> so you're facing like. 95 plus you know almost on a nightly basis yeah. you know something oh man i'm gonna have a painful month <laughs> like a yeah, oh and then later in that game he comes up probably like his fourth ab and hit like probably like a 460 foot home run to like <laughs> left center it was like it was like the farthest ball i'd ever seen hit in a game uh if you guys have ever been to camelback ranch they have the replica field just outside the stadium which is hmm. exact same dimensions as dodger stadium there's a berm that goes right behind it and probably about 75 feet uh, behind that berm, there's a walkway that leads to the clubhouse. He hit it on the walkway. Oh my god! Oh man! Yeah, that's yeah. a tank. Yeah, there's he. He was unreal. He was unreal. Oh, that's crazy. I didn't know you were locker locker mates with him. Uh, yeah, first year yeah. Before he before anybody knew who he was, really. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that dude has forearms the size of my thighs. Yeah. yeah. There's so. there was this one time where uh, it was a payday, so we got our checks. <laughs> I open up my check. I look at it. You know, it was like eighteen hundred dollars or something. So I'm like, okay, cool. And uh, so Yasiel's open up his check right across from me. And he looks at me, what you get? <laughs> so I show him, so I show him, I show him my check. And then he, he was like, oh, okay. And then I was like, what'd you get? So he showed me his $800,000. <laughs> so I was like, oh, there's a little bit of a difference. A I wonder who they like more. Oh, that's funny. Hey, you're still hitting one, two when it comes down. Mm-hmm. Hey, facts. Yeah, facts. still wearing your fastballs. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. And just in time for football season, we brought on Justin Postuma, a football walking encyclopedia. Knows so much about the game. He's a coach over at Eastern Illinois University. Uh, played college football also at UCLA and some other D1 places such as Southeastern Louisiana. He brought us back to some middle school days playing with uh, Jesse and Sully. Mm-hmm. In the Take the L. Yeah, remember, remember yeah, that yeah, he yeah. took the L. Yeah. And so he uh, recounted that painful memory but did so gracefully and also talked about a little bit what he's doing now at Eastern Illinois. <laughs> This is Justin Postuma. You may have heard a little bit about him on our Twitter page. He accompanied us to the uh, Cautiously at the Park event. He won the Dodger Dog Challenge, nine Dodger Dogs, nine innings. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? How are you feeling since that day? Have you had a hot dog since? I have not had a hot dog since. I've recovered <laughs> very well. Had a, a nine hot dog day. It was, it was rough, but, you know, um, when you say you're going to do something, you got to do it. That's... That's what, I, that's what I like to hang my hat on. Went on, played some flag at Claiborne, and played high school at St. Francis. Um, went to UCLA my freshman year. Hold on, can, can we go back to something important there? We're, we're talking about uh, Claiborne. I didn't realize that you played yeah. for Claiborne. Thank you for picking up on that, Jess. Yeah. We're talking about the important game. I know exactly what you're talking when about. When 
when did you play middle school football? Because Jesse and I were a part of a dominant MJS powerhouse. Middle school, junior school, holy child, Jesus, baby, shout out Cornelia Connolly. You yeah. defeated champions, and I'm pretty sure we would have played you then, right? We did play them. That was the yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's skip, let's skip over that. <laughs> that was the game hey, winner. That was the up. MJS game that, winner. That's it, because that game, I'm pretty sure I was QBing. Jesse was one of my wide receivers, and we had a, a big comeback, right? We did. We came well, back and won. Actually, let me, I actually vividly remember that game. I, we, I vividly do too. So. And, uh, yeah, you guys came back and beat us, and I still lose sleep about it. I mean, even last night I was thinking about it. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you knew this was going to come up. Still 2.30, I'm just doing push-ups thinking I'd probably get that chance. Honestly, I think the reason you got to the UCLA was because I rolled left, found Matt Grace in the back of the end zone, and scored the game winner as the clock expired. Essentially, from that day forward, it, it put you on a, uh, a track with destiny to go to a Division One football school. Yeah, it's funny because one of the lasting images in my head was when you threw it to Matt Grace and he's running up the sideline for I don't know fifty yards. <laughs> yeah. He just he ducks out of bounds. He ducks out of bounds like right before I can pull his flags, and he just has like this dead, deadpan look on his face. And I'm like, yeah, this guy's gonna come down and beat me. I already know him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> actually, now that I now that I think about it, we were up 18-0, and I threw a pass to uh, my friend Tony Lee over the middle of the field, and. That would have put us up 24-0. Yeah. And, you know, kind of like Texas A&M would have put the nail yeah, yeah. in the coffin. But he dropped it. You guys came back. The final was 1918, was it not? Oh, it was. Yeah. It, yeah. Was, uh, it was glorious. Yeah. It was glorious. Anyway, all right, we'll go. We'll, we'll get off that. We'll leave that behind. We, we can understand that's a, a sour subject for you. So, yeah, you, let's let's put that behind us. Thank you. But, yeah, thank you for guys. thank you for discussing that. That was really big of you. I can't. It, it takes, it's a big man to discuss those kind of games, the hardest ones in your career. Uh, you know, very, especially very when, you're, when, you're, when, you're, when you don't come on top. And this next interview was one of our ones that we wanted to get from the jump. I mean, I remember when we met before we even recorded a podcast, we said we really would love to have Shea Serrano on one time. And uh, we shot our shot, and Shea gave us the yes. So uh, he called in, and we talked everything from what was then his upcoming book, Basketball and Other Things, which we've now all read and loved, mm-hmm. uh, Spurs Lakers, because, of course, he is a Spurs fan, and we are all uh, Laker fans, Derek Fisher, still the GOAT, sorry, Shay. Uh, a lot of Twitter stuff, J. Cole, LaMarcus Aldridge, some things that he hates, but yeah. it was a really, really fun interview. Uh, these are some of the highlights. Yeah, Shay, uh, thanks again for taking the time. We obviously know you're promoting a book, Basketball and Other Things, and that's coming out pretty soon. We know you're very excited about it on Twitter, and why don't you just tell everybody out here what the book's about and uh, why you're so excited about it. It's about basketball and, and several other things. Because <laughs> it's fucking it's dope, that's why. Yeah, I mean, we expect it pretty much, you know, to be the dopest basketball book of all time. Easily. We're, we're easily. easily, right? Easily. I think, uh, you know, we love to watch on Twitter the account and, and see how many people have been purchasing the book and the race to beat Kobe, you know, with the sales and the scoring record. You talk a little bit about that. Why was Kobe the guy that you wanted to beat? Kobe is the guy who... I wanted to beat him when we started planning out all of the the stuff for the book. Like, like the plan right now is I want to try to get more pre-orders or more orders the first week. I want to have more sales the first week of the book than Kobe Bryant scored points in his entire career. He scored 33,643 points, which puts him up near the top, but not quite the top. Uh, but I wanted to have more sales than him just to beat him because I could never ever beat him in anything in, a, in actual real life <laughs> <laughs> like I'm from San Antonio so the Spurs are my team there was a, a period where it was Spurs versus Lakers just every every year it felt like 
And when you're, you know, whichever side you're on, you always feel like the other team is getting the better of you. So I always felt like Kobe was just, he just was always beating my beloved Spurs. He actually has scored more points in the playoffs against the Spurs than any other player in the history of the NBA, which is a thing I learned while I was working on a book. But it's so that's really all it is. I just wanted some tiny version of revenge against him for any of the times he broke my heart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Spurs and Lakers definitely had a lot of battles back in the day. I mean, obviously, us growing up in Los Angeles, you know, they, the Spurs were always a team in the playoffs that we kind of feared had some good battles. Do you have any particular memories of the Lakers-Spurs battles? I mean, the Lakers got you guys a few times, but the Spurs also came out on top a few times. Do you have any particular memories that stand out to you? Uh, the, the, the two main ones are when the Spurs beat the Lakers finally again in 2003. And, yeah. Uh, that, that one, that series went six, and Timmy, they put game six within Los Angeles, and Timmy just went fucking nuts. <laughs> <laughs> blowing them out. And then the other one, of course, is the point four shot that Derek Fisher hit in 2004. Thankfully, the Pistons ended up beating the Lakers in the finals that year. If the Lakers go on to win the championship that year, then that shot becomes way more important in the history of the NBA. But since the Pistons sort of stepped in it, now it's just an aside that people remember, but not with like the reverential nature of a shot that helped a team win a championship. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember, I mean, I see you all the time referencing that Pistons team just because of how much you love them. they got to be one of your favorite teams now uh, after that, yeah? Yeah, definitely. I, you know, I always find myself rooting toward the, the teams that are not supposed to win. They were, those Pistons are supposed to get blown out. So, yeah, definitely. Plus, I just hated the Lakers, so it was cool to watch them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we can we can definitely relate to that. You know, we're in the podcast world. We're very little guys, so we we always uh, you know we we try and stick up for ourselves here. As far as being accessible, like I I don't understand why someone would be on Twitter and not be that way. If the whole point of being on Twitter is to like interact with other people, it's always weird to me when I hear people call them fans. Like that doesn't it doesn't feel like a correct thing to me because I don't feel like they're fans more often than not. It's usually the same people um, responding to it. Like, you sort of build up these relationships, and you're just like, oh, that's what's up. Like, I've seen you guys on, on Twitter. Yeah. And the reason I said, oh, yeah, I'll go do this pod is because you guys aren't new. You have been around for a while. I see you favoriting or replying or whatever. Like, you, you just learn a person's name or, or, an, or an account's name, and it just becomes, like, this, you know, fun thing. So it doesn't make sense to me to not do that. If you don't do that, I feel like you're missing out. On the best part of Twitter, I know you have a well-documented beef with Jay Cole, and also a well-documented beef with Lamarcus Aldridge. Who do you dislike more between those two guys? Uh, I probably basketball dislike Lamarcus more than I rap dislike Jay Cole. Wow, <laughs> that's—I don't think we were expecting that. I, I thought, think, I thought, I thought it was going to go the other way, especially for a spur. Well, because the thing of it is, like, okay, cool. Like, I don't want to listen to Jay Cole's music or whatever. It's fine. It doesn't really have any effect on me personally other than I get questions about it or, or you know tweets about it or whatever. <laughs> yeah. but with the Marcus he is directly impacting the thing that I enjoy <laughs> there's no way for me to uh, to watch the thing I enjoy without paying attention to him so you know that's that's where that comes from 
our very first NBA player on the podcast was Sam Decker of the Los Angeles Clippers. Shortly after he was uh, traded to the Clippers in the deal that sent Chris Paul to the Rockets, he was actually being an undercover bagger at a grocery store, uh, Smart and Final to be exact, the sponsor of the Clippers. And uh, I was able to talk to him for a few minutes inside the Smart and Final. It was an odd interview, but a very good interview nonetheless. Uh, he talked some of his fast food flavor, what it's like being in LA. And, you know, Sam Decker now is going to get a lot of playing time with Blake Griffin out of the picture. Cautiously optimistic here with Sam Decker of the Los Angeles Clippers. We are in the downtown Los Angeles Smart and Final, which is the official grocer of the Clippers. Sam was an undercover bagger in the checkout aisle today. And Sam, I know you're new in town. Do you think a lot of people recognize you? At first, not as much. They knew I was someone tall, someone, you know, there's cameras around, so they knew something was going on. But as the day kind of progressed, they started to know and some more people recognized me or taking pictures but we had a lot of fun with it and um I was glad to be a part of it yeah and uh, just your experience here today you said it was fun uh coming in here and you know talking with some of the customers and the smart final employees uh just overall your experience what made it so fun well it's 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 nice to interact with people outside of your work and uh to get a chance to just be in the community doing something and for me i love humor i love comedy so to get a chance to do something like that um, and kind of make people a little bit uncomfortable and then let them, you know, warm up to it. Uh, it was a lot of fun for me, something I, I like to do. So um, anytime I can get out in the community, especially a new community to me, um, and, you know, show my face and show, you know, that we're normal people and like to have fun, that's important to me and want to get, you know, the Clippers excitement even higher. Yeah, and uh, as I mentioned, uh, you were traded to the Clippers this offseason. Mm -hmm. uh, so first of all, welcome to L.A. Thank you. Um, and how's it been in the city, and what are you looking forward to most about the upcoming season? Well, I've loved my time so far in L.A. We've had some, you know, we had a few good years in Houston and had a great team there, but obviously, you know, a big blockbuster trades and those things happen. That's part of the business. Um, you know, you can't have any ill will towards anyone, and I'm in a good situation on a good team in a great city. Uh, I've enjoyed everything so far. You know, I'm settled, have a home, and, um, you know, we're trying to make L.A. home for the time being, and hopefully it's... Uh, for more than just a year or two, I ho hopefully I can you know make a place here and make this into um, you know a big part of my career. Uh, like our coaching staff and everybody, so it's 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 been, it's been great. And our season right around the corner. Um, can't wait to get going, and I think we're going to surprise some ple some people with the team we have, and uh, we're gelling nicely. And uh, can't be more excited about the group we have assembled and are going to put on the court. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely happy to have you here in L.A. And you mentioned the group that you have. Uh, just being around the team so far this summer, um, who would you say is your funniest teammate on the Clippers? Uh, we got a whole lot of unique characters. You know, everyone knows DJ and Blake are, you know, goofy um, personalities. They always have been. You see them on commercials and this and that. Um, but I think, I think Clippers fans will like to see, you know, the humor that Pat... And the, and the joy and the craziness that Pat brings to to the table. Um, he's just a breath of fresh air, you know, You know, in the locker room. He's one of these guys that is as serious as can be one moment and the next moment as loose as can be. And uh, he always makes makes me smile, always makes me laugh just because he's so passionate about it. And I think Clippers fans are going to love what he brings to the table. Um, but, yeah, we have a ton of laughs on our team, and um, the chemistry is there, and I love it. Yeah, definitely. I know you have a lot of Rockets teammates coming with you over here, so that should be good. Mm -hmm. um, another part of our podcast that we do is a segment called The Fast Food Flavor. And since we're in Spartan Final and it's, we're surrounded by food right now, um, I wanted to kind of bring it back to the food side of things. Mm -hmm. And I know you're a Wisconsin guy. I've heard of Culver's in Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. Um, 
tell me about that if you ever tried that or had that when you were growing up in Wisconsin or I, I think you still live there as well and, um, but Culver is out there and then over here uh, what is your favorite fast food item? Well, Culver's is a staple of the Wisconsin diet. I think Midwest, you know, Culver's kind of scales the Midwest, just like, you know, In-N-Out has the West Coast, and, um, no, Culver's is unbelievable. Um, their burgers are called Butter Burgers, and uh, I go, I, I try to get, every time I go home, I have, I still have a home there, but every time I go home, I try to get a few Culver's dinners in. Um, you know, they got, they got fresh custard, they got Butter Burgers, they got everything, um, it's delicious to me. I think it's my favorite fast food burger joint. Um, but out here, I mean, I think In-N-Out kind of takes the cake right now. That's you know the kind of the one-stop shop for a burger. That's what I like to hear. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, so that's kind of my thing. You know, when I was in Texas, Whataburger is a big thing. So I mean, I we you know as professional athletes, we we still like sometimes getting our junk food <laughs> on, and we have no problem trying out um, new things. So I think my top three places ever i'd say culver's number one chick-fil-a two and in and out three awesome well i appreciate it uh again sam decker thank you so much for the time uh good luck this season with the clippers and uh thank you for appearing on cautiously optimistic appreciate it the next guest we had on the pod was another buddy of mine from college a compa from east l.a we got baseball frank you know obviously the notorious one when it comes to dodgers twitter we talked all about that Dodgers baseball, and of course, some fast food flavor, the origins of the Fries Bel Grande. Welcome aboard. Special guest today for the Blake DeWitt episode. <laughs> We've got with us the one and only Baseball Frank. Baseball Frank! Baseball uh, Frank. You know, Dodgers Twitter. I feel like, you know, when I think about Dodgers Twitter, you're like, you know, the face of it almost. That's the first <laughs> name. That's the first you name. Really, all right. I don't. I, it's rare that I like see something going on, on Twitter, Dodgers related, that you haven't like commented on haven't <laughs> or done something on. Oh, yeah. And you know how on podcasts, people will say to a lot of friends of the podcast, well, it seems like Baseball Frank's the best friend of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great supporter. We appreciate your support throughout our journey here so far at Cautiously Optimistic. We uh, always see you on there commenting and liking our stuff and offering yeah. feedback. And, and I mean, we know you have a podcast too, is that correct? We do, yeah. We just, uh, me and a buddy Frank. First of all, thank you guys for having me on. Yeah, and, of course, um, man. I, uh, yeah, I've been keeping a close eye on you guys since, since you guys got started, and, and I'm always looking for Dodger content, and yeah. so it starts with that, and then it branches off into the other LA sports, and, and um, I like the dynamic you guys have, and, and just thank you for having me on. Yeah, well, so what's, uh, yeah what's, uh, what's your podcast about? I know it's mostly Dodgers, but there's like, you know, you guys are cover some other things. Yeah, yeah, what's the name of the podcast? It's too? called Let's Be Frank. Um, the little play on, on my name, but it's not just me, it's another guy, and his name's Frank. Yeah. A couple guys named Frank uh, talking... Mostly LA baseball, mostly Dodgers, um, but we will touch on other LA sports, the, the bigger topics, um, yeah, mainly. Um, but I think the best value that we can provide to our listeners would be would be baseball. For me, yeah. at least. Look, I'm gonna go mainstream, and I'm gonna just I'm gonna say McDonald's is is the best, mm, and okay. I think they're they're the class. I think is the better mm-hmm. better yeah. way to put it. Okay. Um, I'm a chicken McNugget guy till the day I die, mm-hmm. and the day I die is probably gonna be because of the chicken, chicken nuggets. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, well, quickly off of that, yeah, yeah favorite sauce that you would dip in McNugget. We were talking about this on our last podcast. What your favorite sauce is? I am a barbecue sauce guy. Yeah. Barbecue okay. sauce and, and anything else. And first of all, I just want to I want to bring something to the forefront. Oh, yes. Um I don't know what it is about McDonald's workers. I don't know. I, th- I have a feeling that if you at any 
type of sauce that they give you comes straight out of their fucking paycheck because they never, <laughs> they never put that shit in the bag. And I get, and you, I mean, I don't go to, I go to McDonald's between yeah. midnight and 4 a.m. just because, yeah. as one does, just because I'm a, I'm yeah, a bad yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, and I get home and I don't have barbecue sauce. So what the hell am I going to do in my life? Yeah. What are you going to do? Dip it in ketchup? Yes. I'm, not, I'm, not eating. <laughs> that, I'm glad you said that like, because no. this guy is a big ketchup guy. Not only, I mean, to so, an extent that you don't even understand. So, you go first. No, I was going to say, I know you, you just subtly threw a little shaded ketchup there. I'll, I'll <laughs> let it slide because you're on the podcast and you're going to guess. But, you know, don't hate on the ketchup. It's my favorite sauce in the game. It's Yes, it's a basic sauce and it's, you know, you can find it in lots of places, but I love it. Do you not like ketchup or is it just kind of there and you never really have an opinion about it? Uh, ketchup is for, uh, it's for french fries. It's, french fries. it's for french fries. Yeah. Okay. Um, but you know what? Even with my chicken McNuggets, <laughs> I dip them in barbecue sauce. It's, it's just a very specific thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the McDonald's barbecue sauce, especially, is the best on earth. Yes, yeah. Undefeated. Oh, absolutely. Undisputed. Your McDonald's and your chicken McNuggets. I'm McDonald's and chicken McNuggets. That's and, um, That's that's me, man. And, and, I, and again, I can't dip. I feel like when you dip a chicken McNugget in ketchup, just to clear this up, because mm-hmm. no, sure. I'm passionate, yeah, yeah. No, I'm passionate about a lot of things, and this being one of them. Yeah. Um, I feel like I found chicken McNuggets in the back of the freezer and microwaved them in yeah. my house because there's nothing else to eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ketchup was the only thing. That's what it takes me back to. Uh, Desperate there's times. There's a little bit of trauma to yeah. there, you know. Desperate times. Our next guest has been on her grind, writing incredible articles for years now. Uh, I always say she is a must-read. You see a Mirren Fader article drop, you stop what you're doing, you read the Mirren Fader article. Uh, we had her on to talk about our history with the Los Angeles Sparks, where I met her as an intern, going all the way through one of her recent articles uh, about Lonzo Ball and many other things in between. So check out some highlights. So then after that, began working for the Sparks and the Clippers, and that's where you met the swine. The yes. Do you know him? Like, do you know Jesse as a swine at all, or is that like? Okay, the... I think we thought we became like um, friends on social media, and I was yeah. like, Yeah, what, what is comes... that about? Yeah. And yeah, I don't know starts... if you, our friend Julie asked you or what, but yeah, I found out. So he didn't introduce himself as DJ Swine Flu. I don't think he did. Not initially, no, no. <laughs> I don't. Playing, I'm trying to remember. He was playing it cool. Okay. Yeah, that was early Swine days. Like, I mean, I came up with DJ Swine Flu junior <laughs> year of high school, so that was like only a couple years after that. I want to talk about Lonzo Ball. Yeah, let's talk about Lonzo Ball. I I loved it. So, you know, you think you know Lonzo Ball. Uh, I think, you know, you were just describing some of your favorite writers. And when I read the story, I think you did a great job of that, of putting us into, like, especially Media Day. I don't know, that's how it begins, but it's just kind of like, remember, like, standing and talking about, like, you know, the man blocking the other person. Like, that really felt like you're in that room. Because, you know, I watched a lot of video that day at ABC. So it it really. Was a good job, I thought, of, of like putting us there and telling the story. But what you know, what was that like? What was that experience like? Um, it you know, it was such a process because it with long form they begin months before it comes out. Mm-hmm. So that was in the works for like quite some time. Yeah. Um, and it was the story could have been called the chase for Lonzo. Yeah. <laughs> um, literally, um, because you know he it's not like a normal player where you go through the PR and like you try to set up something and you want to like follow him around for thirty minutes. Yeah. It's like he has his own brand, he has his own whatever, and so you're basically trying to profile somebody who is like changing the game and it's like, well, I don't need writers. Yeah. I got my own brand. So that was like the first hurdle. He has um, his own brand. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Brandon's yeah, in a little we... trouble right now, but um, yeah. yeah. Shout out Leangelo. Yeah. Free Jello. But anyway, no. free Jello. <laughs> Don't. Free Jello. I can't. Hey, I can't. I can't. Yeah. But yeah. So, um, <laughs> so anyways, so um, I knew like 
that access was going to be really hard. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until like midway through did I realize like, okay, we're like not going to get Lonzo. So how are you going to profile the most popular player on the planet without talking to him? So it became like a mad chase for everyone that has ever known Lonzo. And, um, but it's an exciting thing. And that's why when people are like, why do you do this? It's such a hard industry. It's because of the chase. Like you get so excited, you get... I just love it. Like mm-hmm. I love doing that. I love like the digging. And so, um, I so being at the register, I remember that there was this guy on Cal State Fullerton's basketball team who's from Chino. And then I remembered his name's Austin. His last name is escaping me right now. But um, I interviewed him like numerous times throughout last season while covering the team. And then I saw him in an Instagram photo with Lonzo and I was like, no way. So then I hit him up um, and then it just so happened another best friend was in the gym at the same time. And so you just start there and it's kind of like, well, who can you lead me to next? And it just became this like chase, like who knows Lonzo? And you know, it actually ended up working that way because he's such a mystery. Yeah. So it was like better that I didn't talk to him. And no. I'm not sure if it would have yeah. changed, added anything, it, but it's, yeah, it worked in my favor, which was yeah. ironic. It's kind of like the, you know, the, I'm sure you heard of like that classic journalism story here where it's like, you know, this guy trying to interview Sinatra and I can't yeah. find him in a bar. It's like, I think just like that. And it's right. really kind of like a cool way to approach a story because you certainly learn so much about him. And, yeah. But it's a good way to approach it, I think. And yeah, it turned out great. It was so cool. Thank you. I was about yeah. to say the same thing. Like, I think mean, it's just a, it's an interesting way, accidentally, yeah. to be able to write, and I think it actually did work out better than I mean, Lonzo, and also because Lonzo is you saw him on media. I mean, he's he's yeah. not really like he doesn't talk that much, yeah. which you talk about as well. But it's yeah. like right, right. <clears throat> being able to like get his close friends. I think you're going to learn more about him than actually talking to him. Yeah. Well, and I think like the the thing that I was interested in is that I I kind of um, it was hard for me to understand like why people think he's so fake like Mm -hmm. they just you look at him and you're like is it genuine you know is he really like humble Mm -hmm. and I think like it's not that you learned anything in my piece that surprised you but it was more like you get he is what he is like he like it was important that I made that extra call to his um public speaking yeah um, that was a really cool which is like an example of like you know, I was extremely tired that day. It was due the next day at, like, 7 a.m., and I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to call this dude, like, you yeah. know. And it's, like, always make that extra call because that was, like, a beautiful moment of him blossoming out of his shell, and I had to, and you know, if I didn't make that call, I wouldn't have gotten that anecdote. Yeah. But anyway, just bringing that up to, to say that, like, um, it's important to dig back deep into somebody's high school time period. You know, you might think, why is that relevant? Why are you talking to his public school teacher when he's at the Lakers? But, like... It's so, it's so important. I think those are the most formative time. And especially like as, you know, I cover these people that are really famous, it's so hard to get to them. You're often going to get the most stuff from high school because if that person hasn't quote unquote switched up, like they're still going to be in communication with their high school people. Yeah. Obviously writing focuses a lot on, it's just women in sports and kind of like the grind and the hustle of that. Um, You know, obviously being a woman who played sports and as, you know, self-described, like kind of like one of the boys, like someone who always grew up wanting to like play sports and, and show that they could do it just like the guys do is that something you just concentrate on your writing a lot like obviously a lot of your stories are about that but is that something you like really have made an emphasis in your career like i want to put women on like i want to make sure that they everyone knows that it's all equal and and that's what like you know, it should be yeah i i definitely agree with that i want like i want to be so i'm definitely like nowhere where near where i want to be yeah, like, yeah. but but like i want to reach like a level where i can like be a role model for for girls in sports but it's hard because um 
I just look at myself as a journalist, period. And, I, like, I write about women, I write about men. And it's hard because for a long time people thought the only thing that I wrote about was women, even though for the register I was covering Cal State Fullerton's nationally ranked baseball mm-hmm. program and I was doing all these other stuff that, you know, people weren't really necessarily looking for. But I take so much pride in the fact that, like, I write about women. I don't look at it as a negative at all. I, I love writing about women. I love writing about men. I would write about, like, animals if you asked yeah. me to. You know, like, I just love writing. But I, I do take pride in writing about women because I feel like they, they trust me. There's a different level of trust. And I, and I hate I hate saying, like, oh, like, only, you know, women can write about women because it's not true because then they're going to use that same excuse yeah. to say, well, you're not a man, so you can't write about men. Exactly. So, you know, I'm not going to say anything like that. But I do feel, like, a lot of pride when they – when I interview female athletes and they're like, thank you for taking the time to actually like get to know me and interview me because most people don't. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that that's sad. And I often think like, well, if I'm not going to write about them, like who will, you know, like what if ESPNW wasn't around, like who would be covering these people? So, you know, at the same time, like I want to write about men. I'm really happy that I'm writing about like special high profile uh, men's players now too. But um, I just think it's important that you have representation, but me kind of being in that hybrid world where I was one of the guys, but I also played girls basketball in college. You know, I know the guys game. I still shoot around like every day at my gym, you know, and I'm always the only girl there. So I feel like me like having one foot in one world and one foot in the other world has always been my journey. And it, it makes sense to me that it's the same way now, like yeah. in journalism. I think it's certainly an advantage to, you know, be able to see everything from all sides is something that makes, especially in the writing world, like you can really yeah. get everything that you want to cover. Yeah, and going off that, I mean, you obviously have confidence in your abilities as a writer, but just taking a step back, like, you, you as a woman in a field dominated by men, and, you know, we obviously heard, like, the Cam Newton comments last oh, month, yeah. and just, <laughs> you know, like, when you hear something like that, that's obviously a challenge that women face, and I'm, I'm sure you've dealt with similar yeah. situations, um, but, but what would you say to, you know, like, young women who are aspiring to be journalists who, are, you know, have to deal with that kind of stuff, because you've probably, I would assume, have dealt with that in that's some That's literally happened to me. Yeah. Yeah, this guy, I said, like, a skip pass. I said something about a skip pass. You know, I, I love the skip. Like, I just, it's such a beautiful, yeah. like, yeah. It's the best pass. freaking love the skip pass. He was like, oh, like, a skip pass? Like, as if, like, I, he thought, like, I Googled it, like, two seconds prior or something. And I was like, yeah, skip pass, ever heard of it? You know? <laughs> um, like, so that happens to me, like, all the time all the time like last week um i was at usc and i was talking to someone and um this guy was like trying to explain something to me and i was like yeah mm, shaking her head at right. usc it's fine um yeah bro tough week for y'all i don't want, I don't want to take this though and i was <laughs> like yeah i was like i know what you're talking about but anyways my advice would be unfortunately it is going to happen to you you're gonna have your cam newton moment moments and it's, and it's not going to be a huge moment like that, unfortunately, where, I mean, it might be, but you're going to have tiny ripple moments like that all the time. And it's going to be something that you have to let roll off you every single time. Like that was a, that I'm sure that reporter will, ne- will never forget that. But most times it's in the subtle things, it's interviewing and like feeling the pressure to like have to like prove your knowledge on site like I never ask like stupid questions like what were you feeling like or, you know I, I ask like very specific like you know he was you know he set the back screen and the dude faded and it was like what did you think about that and you know because then they're like oh she knows and then I'm gonna give her a detailed response back like it's a really stupid like yeah. game that you have to play mentally but I would say expect it but don't let it get to you um which is a really hard thing to do but it's like 
if you want something, like you have to go for it regardless. Like if you want, if you want to succeed in this industry, you know you're going to be one of the few women out there, and you have to just kind of keep pushing and just, you know, carry yourself like I belong here. Mm-hmm. Like I, um, and there will be like moments which will be horrible. But like one time I was, um, I was doing a story on Mo Spades, and I was in the. They were playing. He was on the Warriors, and they were playing the Clippers. And I had to go up to one of his teammates to ask like a question about Mo. And all the male reporters, like think of like everyone famous you know in LA media, they were right there in the locker room. <laughs> yeah. And like you know how it's like a social thing. They were just like hanging out yeah, in the locker room. Other, so, yeah. I was like, I didn't know anyone. I was like totally stood out. Um, so I was like whatever I'm just gonna go up to the player and I was like hey like can I and everyone's like watching and I was like hey can I ask you a couple questions about Mo like I write for SB Nation he said no it's like your worst fear like yeah, happening right. in yeah. real life but in front of everyone so it was like humiliating so I was like I have a choice I can like let these guys see me sweat right now or I can be like I don't really care I'm the only woman here and I'm not gonna let you see me crumble mm-hmm. I'm gonna go to the next person so I just like I was like okay n- no problem and then I went to the next person I got my quote so like I, I always think about that like I could have easily like showed that I was upset yeah. and like let them think that I was a rookie but that comes from playing years of playing basketball of, like having to like hide mm-hmm. your what mm-hmm. you're thinking so anyways I would say women please join yeah. Like, yeah. we need we need you When we really wanted to talk about the Lakers, we looked no further than Harrison Fagan of Lakers Nation. We were able to contact him on Twitter and we arranged an interview and it was a great interview talking about the Lakers. Uh, He's covering the team now for Lakers Nation. He went to Las Vegas Summer League. He one time ran into Kobe Bryant literally and told us about that and he just had all the knowledge about the Lakers, covers them very extensively, has a podcast of his own, but he was gracious enough to come on our podcast and we had a great time talking to him. So I've covered Summer League the last three years, and uh, the first two years that I went, it was a zoo. Like, Laker fan, like, there is a special breed of Laker fan that goes out (laughs) to Summer League, and it is at, like, that building was, I remember the first game where Larry Nance Jr. kind of broke out against the Sixers, and uh, there was a moment where he blocked Jaleel Okafor's shot so hard against the backboard that you could hear, like, the, it almost sounded like the glass shattered, like, outside, (laughs) like, in the arena, and there were just, like, Larry chants, like, booming throughout. Vegas and like yeah, Larry had a good line after the game that he was afraid that like he broke his own hand because he blocked it so hard and that was like the first exposure to Larry Nance Jr. the really good interview yeah. uh, but then so it, it was it was really just for lack of a better term because you know it's not like I'm a writer and I should be able to come up with good terms it was very lit the first two years um, and but last year was just a whole different animal it was like it was the first sellouts like basically in Vegas summer league history the arena was like shaking every single time Lonzo played People were out there with like LeVar, so like LeVar Ball, like fat head signs, like custom. I don't think you can buy an actual LeVar no, Ball fat no. head, so that had to be <laughs> custom made. Yeah. yeah, and they had like, like there was big baller, like the big baller fans are like a different breed even than like Lakers, some normal Lakers Summer League fans, which are is already like crazy yeah. and dedicated and awesome. And uh, it was just like a really, I mean, you were there, so you felt it. Like, it was just a crazy yeah. atmosphere for games that, like, literally do not matter at yeah. all. It, Other it, was than my first, <laughs> it was my first experience going to Summer League, and I was... I was you picked being, a good year. I was being, yeah. Is it always like this? You know, it's like this yeah, seems it's, like it's like it was a slight. The, the first two years, it was a slightly toned back version yeah. of that. But yeah, it's <laughs> it's not always like that, and I don't think it always will be. Like I think Lonzo, I highly doubt he's going to play in summer league his second year. Yeah. If he does, he'll yeah. do the Ingram special where he plays one game <laughs> yeah. and like he dominates the Clippers and Tweets then his ankle. yeah, and then yeah. sits out the rest of the time. Um, but 
it, yeah, it was just an incredible atmosphere, and it was interesting. That was my first time ever covering Lonzo because I hadn't like I didn't go to his introductory presser. Uh, I didn't go like cover him at UCLA or anything yeah. like that. And so it was my first experience dealing with the Lonzo Ball uh, interview efficiency machine, where <laughs> like if you you can you could give him any question, it's like a defense on the floor. Yeah. Like he reads it, he's faced that question a hundred times, yeah, right. and he gives you a like five to ten word answer that exactly answers your question. Uh, look you directly in the eyes while he's doing it, but he's not going to give you much more than that. <laughs> so, and it's like Lavar's like drilled it. You know, he's just like having breakfast at six a.m. every morning when he's at Chino Hills, and just like you're going to get this question, you get this question. Because I, I totally agree with that. Like he does just have like their perfect answers. Like he's very mature, looks right at you, like you said. But it's so strange that he just is like always so good about it. It's rare to see a rookie that's that like. Uh, I guess mechanical in answering questions. Yeah, and there are some guys that like it. It would come off as curt when they did it, and it never yeah. comes off that no, way with him. He just like he he he's answering your question. He's giving you a usable answer. It's just he's going to do it very fast, and he's not going to have to think about it for very long because he's been dealing with journalists since he was like probably fifteen years old, yeah. and so he's like almost as much of a prodigy at answering questions as he is at <laughs> playing basketball. Like arguably better yeah. so far. Um, <laughs> You know, we were, you know, we knew we were going to be on the podcast, so I'm looking through some tweets, and um, I actually have it pulled up here. Oh, this is not good. Uh, if you're wondering who the guy walking around Newport in a Sasha Vujicic jersey <laughs> is, it's me. <laughs> For, so this How is, do you feel about Sasha Vujicic? Is he one of your favorite Lakers? Jesse has so, opinions about I'm, it. Yeah, so. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, then I'll tell you how I feel. So this is this is the part where, you know, we remember earlier in the podcast, I said I'm mostly a journalist now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, think, I think the only jersey that I ever wear outside of my house ever now is that Sasha Vujicic jersey. Mm-hmm. And it's because he is, uh, I remember, I don't know if you guys ever were, ever watched those machine videos on the internet oh, where yeah. somebody did oh, like yeah. a funny voice, Sasha Vujicic. <laughs> yeah. I remember watching those. Spurs game two. I machine come to game dressed like model party back machine continue great defense face pinocchio maybe tiny fruit but it's okay he flipped more body man now scared of machine machine do not feel sorry machine feel nothing uh he just is like almost like a caricature and is like he was always very amusing to me and uh when i was like when i was chubbier when i started college i didn't look like him people i had like a giant like like uh like curly hair and everything people would always say i looked like pal but when i got like skinnier and i cut my hair people started saying i looked like sasha Vu which I see it a little bit like I'm like a malnourished like less att- <laughs> like malnourished less attractive like less like well coiffed I guess Sasha Vujicic but like I could see it and um but so he just like as just kind of I've never actually interacted with him but okay. just for that reason because people were always comparing me to him they kind of gaslighted me into becoming him a little bit and just like accepting that that was my brand now that I'm the yeah. Sasha Vujicic of Lakers Twitter okay and so uh, like I had that jersey from back when the team was like like I think I bought it in like 2009 or 2010 mm-hmm. and I've just like kept it around and you know he's just like a character and the, you know he had, like people ask me like who a dream podcast guest would be and it would be him uh, I really want to get Sasha Vujicic at some point uh... and confront him with this and that this has become my brand because I think it would be so hilariously awkward and if he was willing to go with it that it could be kind of fun but anyway I, I will cede the floor to you and your yeah well Sasha first of all I'll say I'll say that I respect a jersey. You know, like I, I'm never going to talk down on any jersey. That's a great choice. Uh, another point before I get into anything, I think Sasha Vujicic would also be a dream podcast guest for us, um, but for another reason, it's because I think uh, he's one of the worst players in NBA history. Um, and I think right now, 
I could beat him in a game of one on one. Okay. <laughs> and I know you're going to say that's crazy, and I understand that. And you're I, I you're, can... you're pulling Lavar Ball a little bit right yeah, now. Yeah, I respect it. You're trying to you're yeah. trying you're going to trash talk him until he comes on your podcast to tell you why he would kick your ass in one. And then I would hope that he would play me. Yeah. Because yeah. I really, I, it's not like a thing where it's like I'm going to talk trash and then if he's like, all right, let's play, I'm like, nah. I like, yes, let's go. Like I'm ready. Because my thing was, he did two things. He shot free throws and he hit. He literally he won hit. the Lakers title. I'm, I'm going to say you should show some respect by, to by, by hitting forget. free throws. He's not the only person on that team that can hit free throws. But he made them. And I then don't know. He, he made them. They were pretty clutch. And catch and shoot threes. He, if he, he put fixed, the ball on the floor. He fixed his eyebrows and he went up there <laughs> and he hit those clutch yeah, shots, can't okay? Forget, can't forget the eyebrows. Yeah. The fact that he was insanely confident enough that even Kobe appreciated uh-huh. him oh, yeah. is like that kind of like lends to the legend yeah. even more. Like if you're like if you're working hard enough that you can be like that kind of uh misguided a little bit and like Kobe still appreciates you, I think like I, I you you gotta respect it a little bit. And speaking of the Mamba, I know you were probably just coming up into your journalism career when Kobe was heading up, but did you have any overlapping interactions? with him when you're covering the team my first time ever stepping foot in the lakers locker room i literally uh ran into kobe or more accurately he ran into me i was i was i didn't know what to do i was kind of taken aback i'd never been in there before and kobe did not want to get just swarmed by reporters when he was on his way from the lakers uh the players lounge to the training room and so he just you see the door like dart open Kobe's darting from that room like doesn't want to get caught by anybody and here is like me and my like idiot self just standing completely in the middle of the locker room in his way and he just like almost runs into me pulls up excuse me buddy and then like kind of moves me aside darts into the practice room and so that was my first ever interaction with Kobe and then really the only other time I interacted with him was his last post-game locker room scrum Mm -hmm. and uh it was that was the that was like the second most media I've ever seen around a player's locker for their uh, uh, like after a game yeah. it was the first being Meta World Peace's final game because <laughs> legend. Uh, yeah because it was that game where he it was his final game in Staples Center and the media loved he Meta yeah. and there was game. like yeah he went off that game and then there was like I'm not even kidding like it was at least 10 bodies deep of media to like try and talk to him I got that I, I saw the horde forming around his locker yeah. and then I look at a Lakers PR guy and I like look at my tape recorder I'm like there's no way I'm going to pick up any audio from this whatsoever. Like, And so I just gave up. I was like, all right, I'm not writing about meta tonight. And I knew everybody else was going to write about meta. Yeah. So like, that wasn't my thing for that game anyway. Yeah. I, f- I forget what I wrote about, but I found something else. You got to bring a boom mic in to like, hold yeah. up. The exactly. Device. Like, like get like a fishing rod and like, attach <laughs> yeah. my tape recorder to it and yeah. throw it in there. But Kobe, it was probably like, I, I remember that last locker room scrum. Like, oh, You couldn't even see the people asking the questions. Like literally, there, Ramona Shelburne, I heard her... Uh, pop up with like a couple questions and Kobe just stops and he's like Ramona where are you <laughs> and, like, and like she was like of course like she's not very tall and she yeah. was like she was like six bodies back and she was like like hidden by a bunch <laughs> of other reporters and cameras and whatever but like um, and probably wasn't going to be able to pick up audio from him anyway. Was yeah. going to have to be able to get it from somebody else. But like that's uh, that. So those are like my memories of Co. And I remember just the year that I covered him was the most kind of. It was his last year, and it was yeah. the most unfiltered he's ever been. Yeah. And it was just kind of like fun to be around. And like he had like really let loose a little bit more with the media than I think he had in prior years because he knew that was it for him, and he yeah. was trying to get his. Uh, his start as a storyteller, which, as he will tell, like anyone who asks yeah. him what his passion <laughs> is nowadays. So, when something cool 
happens in sports, I always feel like Arash Markazi is there to document it. So that's one of the things we talked about while in Levy Library with Arash Markazi. Um, talked about Leangelo Ball in China because he was there. We talked about the Cavs celebrating championship in Vegas. Why? Because he was there. Um, and then a few other things. You know, we had to talk about food with the young legend. Uh, but here is our interview with Arash Markazi. So we were in Shanghai when this happened. Um, and, you know, so I had come not with the team, but, you know, I was staying in Hangzhou at the same hotel with the team, kind of came to Shanghai. The team was in Shanghai as well. Then I get the call that uh, we're hearing that three of the players were arrested and are jailed for shoplifting. And, so, geez, and not only that, one of them is Leandro yeah, Ball. Yeah, so, right. like, that changes the entire context of the trip. And I, I it was even more interesting because I knew LaVar and LaMelo and that whole crew and I say the crew like their reality show they were filming the reality show so they were in Shanghai so I said this is just surreal so they were like you know you you know do you have your equipment do you have your suit I was like yep yeah. <laughs> was not expecting to use it uh but that was sort of you know I kind of like uh, set up in the lobby and I set up in my hotel room you know because of the time difference there was only a few times where it was like a convenient hit i mean there was a lot of like 2 a.m hits yeah, or like yeah. 1 a.m hits yeah. where i'm like in the hotel room like all right you know yeah and that was the first time you know whenever i wear a suit i, I i'm just more comfortable doing the whole thing that was the first time i was like okay it's getting me from here i'm just gonna do the top <laughs> and like shorts like yeah. i'm not doing the whole yeah so but yeah to- totally changed the trip i i did not really leave the hotel i mean i i would there was, there was twice that I went from Shanghai to Hangzhou and then back and then back from Shanghai to Hangzhou just to kind of check on them. Not really check on the players per se, but just to make sure that they're there. Yeah. Just to figure out what's happening because I, I found out pretty early on that they were detained, taken to the police station, but were released and they were back at the hotel. So they yeah. were never really in jail. Yeah, I know. We saw all your videos. That, that was a great too. They gave us a great perspective yeah. of what the hotel looked like and the waterworks and everything like that. They got to watch from the window. That was um, a nice hotel. And, yeah, well, I'd love to go back, actually. <laughs> yeah. You got some pretty close encounters with LeVar Ball at the hotel there. Yeah. And was that your first time speaking with LeVar? And how did those interactions go for you? You know, I had only talked to him a couple times before. I wasn't um, someone who really covered them a lot. Um, so I, I had talked to him probably a couple of times before that. But when... Um, when this originally happened, I, 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 I contacted him and his, uh, you know, his people about, okay, so what's your reaction? And the, uh, their first reaction was, we're going to have a press conference in LaVar's hotel room. And I was like, oh, like, oh my God. <laughs> first of all, I'm the only U.S.-based reporter here. Like, I don't know who the heck's going to be in this press conference but me, but this is going to be amazing. Yeah. And I think... I may have shot myself on the foot in that one because I think enough people saw that he's about to do a, a press conference and that's going to go really wrong. And they told him he can't, not only can he not have a press conference, he cannot comment. So I was like, I got to get a comment from him. So while he was leaving the hotel um, that first day, I kind of went TMZ and I kind of was like, hey, LeVar, what do you think? Run up on him. You know, yeah. and I, I had to get comment. Um, still amazed that his comment was that it's not that big a deal. Yeah, so, right. you know. And he was um, told not to comment after that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think an interesting story about being in the right place at the right time. I was in Vegas working on a hockey story. So, like, uh, they were in the process of giving them the the team. So I think this was, I think, around the time of, like, 
the owners meeting. It was in Vegas. It was in the summer. It was June. It was Game Seven of the NBA Finals, and so I wasn't able to watch the. I mean, I was able to watch it, but I wasn't able to actually attend Game Seven. So I'm in Vegas, and I get a call from a friend. And it's like, hey man, the Cavs are rolling through tonight. And I said, when? Like next week? You know, no, no, tonight. Like, no, like they just played Game Seven in Oakland. It's like, yeah, I know they're getting on a plane here. And I'm like. All right, and I wasn't really <laughs> sure if that was the tr- truth, but I said, okay, I'll be right over. <laughs> Save me a spot, whatever. I get there at Excess Nightclub in Vegas, and it's like, yep, that's the entire Cavs team. <laughs> and I'm, like, front and center for this great moment, you know. And uh, that was kind of surreal. I got J.R. Smith. That, that was my yeah. pin tweet for, like, a, a long time with yeah. J.R. Smith. Yeah, J.R. Smith up at the club. And that was one of those just kind of fun little, like, not – that's not why I went to Las Vegas. I wasn't <laughs> yeah. on the clock, but it turned into like a story that was like, all right, the like, Cavs won, and then they went straight to Vegas. So when you're covering something like that, you know, yeah. like in a nightclub in Vegas, there's obviously things you can't report on, can't report on. How do you kind of like draw that line? I always like feel, listen, if you're up on a stage at a nightclub in Vegas and they are recording it because these clubs have their own yeah, people. System. So they have a photographer there taking pictures of it. They have So I was like, that's fair game. Yeah. Um, I think if, like, listen, if they had bought... Um, if they are at a bar and they're, like, at a corner, like, I'm not going to try to, like, go into that corner. But, like, they were literally up on a stage. Yeah. Everyone around me. So this was Sunday night. Sunday night is, like, a swim night, pool night at, like, yeah. Access. Like, everyone's has their phone out. They're, like, in their, like, you know, swimming trunks or their bikinis or whatever. I mean, it was just... It was crazy. And so in a setting like that, I have no problem saying, well, everyone else has their camera phone. Yeah. The only difference is I'm the only one who's working at ESPN. Yeah. They're, they're, they're just doing it on Snapchat. So. Yeah, right. Probably yeah. a couple more followers on Twitter. And stuff. <laughs> it's yeah, a little bit different. There, yeah. One or two. Yeah, that's wild. I mean, um, and do, like, I guess I just want to go out for that. Like, do players ever, like, you know, respond to you or, like, text you or anything like I know that? Kevin Love looked at me like, okay, come on, man. Are you yeah. really doing this? So I, and then I was like... I know, Kevin. I'm sorry, but I have to. It was like, you know, because nothing bad was happening, but it was like, um, it was just kind of a fun moment that, again, if it's happening on stage and it's being documented, I have to document it as well. But I I definitely, there is like that line of if they're, uh, you know, if they're like at a restaurant, I'm not going to pull up to their table at the restaurant with my phone. But I mean, this was one of those situations where you kind of have to explain it to people mm-hmm. um, where it's like this is an, a unique normal situation where they're yeah. just like they're trying to peacefully quietly have a good time I mean they are tossing like they're, 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 they have champagne and they're pouring it on the crowd you know what I'm saying so that was kind of interesting <laughs> yeah. I hope it didn't get on your phone yeah. 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 I, it actually did yeah. so I had to like every now like alright like, <laughs> back up again another little topic you I mean forefront of all the Dodger Stadium yeah Food. What was the best? Like playoffs, they brought out a whole new thing. What was yeah. what was your favorite there? I, uh, so the craziest one was uh, was the uh, what was it? It was like a chicken um, ice cream, bacon in a donut. In a donut <laughs> because like way yeah. too much happening, but it was like really good for like one bite. But then it like totally yeah. melted and it was all over my hands. So, like that wasn't. It didn't work, and I think I was the only one to get it because when <laughs> I got it, all the people were like, "So um, how did it taste?" Like they, no one per. It was like twenty dollars. Yeah. Also, I remember seeing the picture of it. Yeah, yeah. it was a hundred degrees during the World It was a hundred degrees. It was, degrees. It was, it was like a bad. That's tough. Um, that was actually, actually tasted good. But what what was like my favorite 
food item of all the like 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 Korean year, truck. If you remember. Yeah, they, had, yeah, they, they do a lot of like, variety with the visiting teams. I know that. Yeah. yeah. I think they've always done a good job with that. I mean, um, anything with, um, you know, sweet, I kind of like. So, like, they, they, they did, like, the double bacon cheeseburger inside of a donut, but it was just too much. So, with those kind of items, even though I took a video of it, I really only had, like, half of it. I yeah. didn't have the whole thing, but... Yeah, the playoffs were nuts. I don't know what they were thinking. Yeah, I remember during the World Series, you know, you would be posting videos of what you're eating onto the Dodgers clubhouse page yeah. on the site. Was that your own doing, or did ESPN say, "Hey, we want to know it's we want to know it's in the stadium"? Garage, go film this. No, you know what? I think there was such a reaction for like anything with that team during that run, and I remember like even when I would tweet out the new food items, like that just got like it, it was like my most popular tweet. So I said, "Well, I mean, if they're kind of interested in just that, then maybe I should try one." Um, and everyone of the doctors were joking with me. They're like, if we go to Game 7 of the World Series, like, you're going to kill yourself. And like, oh. <laughs> I, I basically tried like, every crazy thing that they had on the menu. And it was good, but it was like, yeah, I mean, so, some things were like off the wall nuts. Our next guest was Tori McAdams, a good friend of mine, man. I've known this dude since elementary school. He's now a freelance writer, covers a lot of underground hip-hop. So we talked about his latest article on O3 Greedo at the time and many other things. Um, so most recently, it's so with the writing, you just came with an article yesterday about O3 Greedo and his crazy, crazy life and all that. What was it like interviewing? I guess like the first thing I thought of was like, what is it like interviewing just like a straight up killer pretty much and like a, a dude who just like bangs and like do when you like, you know, grown up in silver, like it's probably like you, you get a certain rep, I guess. How do you kind of <laughs> shake that and be able to just like walk in wherever and interview these dudes? So that interview was not in Jordan Downs. We actually met at his favorite restaurant, uh, the Stinking Rose in Beverly Hills. I don't know if you guys are familiar. <laughs> uh, he, he's, he, I guess he loves garlic. And so I'm just sitting there in this like red vinyl booth, you know, inches away from Greedo. On one side is his manager, this guy TK. The other guy who I mentioned in the article, Law, who's another crip who he's known for since for like, I don't know, 20 years or so. And uh, another co-manager. And Greedo is, uh, he's really loud. Like, just conversationally, he has this honking nasal voice. Um, and uh, the Stinking Rose is naturally pretty quiet, but especially in the late afternoons, there's not that many people in the restaurant. But I could still see sort of like, there are families on both sides of our booth just like looking over because uh, I think he might have set the records for the most times uh, using the N-word in, <laughs> in, the, in the Stinking Rose history, probably within like the first five minutes of our conversation. <laughs> a crazy setting for a little interview like that especially the guy like that so um the other thing i really enjoyed in the article is like how much kind of history you had from watts and like the build up from the riots and everything um or it's called either rebellion right um how did you go about like doing all that research just to kind of like find out about the backstory of greedo and then into the kind of like the criminal activity in the area at the time so i grew up in la and i've always enjoyed reading about la history so some of that stuff was actually just from books i have off my shelf um Jill Leovi's Ghetto Side, which is about uh, murder policing in Los Angeles, uh, gave me some pretty good facts. Uh, Joe Dominic's Blue, which is a history of the LAPD, is a valuable resource. Uh, Kevin Starr's, I can't remember which California book, it, it's from 1950 to 1963, has a really good bit about the riots too. Um, but there's a lot of stuff, particularly as it pertains to L.A., public housing that is a bit recondite um 
Wikipedia is sort of helpful, but for the most part, you actually have to find like academic papers and city documents and stuff, uh, which it's all just like crappily put together PDFs by some underpaid assistant who just is using like PowerPoint for the first time, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm surprised we got it all together too, yeah. like that. And I know you wrote this for Noisy, which is the music wing of Vice, and. Um, just in the beginning of this process, when you were deciding to write about Greedo and you were getting into it, uh, how much, like, how did you actually get in contact with him? Because it seems, like, reading your story, it seems like a guy who's kind of been all over the place, kind of pretty crazy upbringing, crazy life so far, and he's a young guy. Um, how were you able to, like, kind of lock him down? Uh, did Noisy help with that, or were you able to make some connections? Like, how, to take us through that process. So, Greedo has this management team, these dudes, TK and Picasso, Picasso with one S. Mm-hmm. Um, and TK has been around forever. He's really plugged in. And so uh, he's sort of getting Greedo more popular outside of Jordan Downs. Um, so I connected with him and Picasso through my buddy Jeff Weiss, former LA Weekly columnist. And they're the ones who set it up. Um, I just pitched Noisy, and but they don't have anything to do with really how I get in contact with mm-hmm. rappers for the most part. Have you always been this interested in rap like and it, it in that sense is it more have you always been an underground rap fan or is it more of someone like you you enjoy finding that that up and coming guy or is it something where it's a, a an all-around thing uh i guess it's kind of an all-around thing i like writing about less popular artists because you can get them at vulnerable points in their careers and their lives where they're actually willing to talk about the things that they've done or the things that have happened to them and they don't have sort of canned answers like, I'm not really interested in interviewing, like, a, a Drake yeah, or even, like, a Future because they've been asked the same questions, you know, a thousand times. At a certain point, you know, you're just going to start giving the same answer to multiple people. They're media-tested, too. Yeah. Greedo is not media-tested, as yeah. I think hopefully comes off in the article. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he even talks about being like, I got to walk my walk, you know, I got to learn how to talk my talk right now. It's like, well, you know, I'm still learning the process, I guess, in a certain degree. Yeah, he really idolizes Phil Collins in that respect. <laughs> yeah. uh, I can't. He 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 calls him. He thinks Phil Collins sounds like a street person, like a street guy. Um, and but like it wasn't just that he liked how Phil Collins is like music sounds. Like he likes how Phil Collins carries himself, which I think is really funny, because they could not be two more different people in the Western world than I, mean, I think. Do you think he just like, listens to the In the Air tonight and just kind of like jams out of his house or like? Well, apparently, yeah, he has a. He really likes like the sort of big atmospheric sound of like Genesis and Phil Collins, like the big like sounds. That's crazy, man! What an interesting guy. Yeah, I mean, is there anything like what was I guess the most interesting part of the interview? There's probably so much to it, but it's like there's something that like really stuck out to you that you're like, you know, if you finished up and you're like, damn, I want to get home and write about this right now. He's kind of an overwhelming interviewee because he speaks a mile a minute and. I think, but I do think the one thing that stuck out to me was the quote that I ended the piece with, where he talks about telling his daughter that she can't rely on him in the future, which is sort of terrifying and sad, but it's also a moment of like vulnerability and self-awareness. Um, it It's weird that, it, it's shocking to see someone know themselves to such a degree and know that they're sort of violent and unreliable or... That their lives are that their life is so addled that their twelve year old daughter, you know, has to learn a sense of independence, which 
coming from, you know, a middle class, upper middle class background, it's, it's not something I heard as a child. You heard us talk to Arash Markazi at USC, and we also talked to another ESPN reporter, writer, do-it-all guy from ESPN, and that's Yovan Buha. He's done a lot. He's been to LeVar Ball's house, he's shopped with Mike Conley, and he snuck into an after-party at Drake's Calabasas Estate. It was a fun conversation because he told us about all of those experiences. Yovan Buha. Second time I went with Jeff Goodman, uh, he was doing a Sports Center interview before a couple of weeks before the draft. So I went with him to the house um, and did kind of a story on like just a day spent with the, 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 the old ball. house. You got to clarify now. The old house. The old house. We have the estate now. Yeah, the the, the iconic backyard yeah, yeah, yeah. that we've all seen, <laughs> yeah. you know, multiple times. Uh, making breakfast. Yeah. So so he yeah. made me breakfast. He made he made me he made me big baller uh, pancakes eggs. <laughs> They were good, okay. oh, and I, I it was interesting because I actually don't like eggs, um, which I don't know if that makes me weird, but I, most people like. Yes. <laughs> I'm not gonna say no. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. so I, I don't like the eggs. Texture, or whatever. It's the texture okay, for me. Yeah. Uh, like a lot of people don't like tomatoes, which I find weird. I'm with you. But but because I love tomatoes, but uh, yeah, for egg, you know, eggs and and onions for me, those are the two things. Okay. Uh, not a big fan of either. So. He made me eggs with onions in them, <laughs> and they're actually not bad. Uh, I think he put wow. a lot of cheese and salt. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure what else he, he put in there, but uh, yeah. So he, you know, sausage, pancakes, eggs, like uh, very good. What's your thought process when you see him making eggs, and then you're like, all right, well, I'll do this, and then you see the onions going, and you're like, I, really? Yeah, I was like, a, I can't say no, but like, exactly. No, that's, I, I, I was yeah. like, is there a way to sneak this where like I don't <laughs> eat it? But then you know, he's just so. He just has this like energy about him yeah. that's so so forceful and intimidating that I'm like, all right, you know, I'm just gonna eat it. Yeah. Th- this could be a, this could be a story for another day, or it could be for now. Uh, but there's a time sophomore year where I snuck into an after party at his house. I think that story <laughs> is a now. Time for now. Yeah. <laughs> How's that going? <laughs> he's uh, on the compound out there. He's just like yeah, in, in Calabasas, um, which it's weird because I grew up in Agora, which is f- like five minutes yeah. from Calabasas, yeah. Yeah, and then. It was kind of as, almost like as I got to SC, like all of a sudden Calabasas kind of popped and it was like all these rappers started coming and it became, I mean, the Kardashians were always there, but yeah. like it wasn't. Uh, yeah. My brother really went to Crespi, so he's always kind of on that scene. Like it was the younger side with like the uh, uh, the younger Kardashian yeah. sisters, but he yeah, go on. It's like, it's a crazy life out there. Yeah, so, so it's a pretty long story, so I'll try to, you know, condense it as, as much as possible. But basically, uh, sophomore year, Drake is doing a college tour and his LA stop is SC. So naturally I, I go to that with my friend. Um, and this was like, I want to say like a Tuesday, Tuesday or Wednesday night, just like random night in the middle of the week. Um, so it, it starts around 10 or so, ends at like 12. So it's a great concert. Uh, he, he brings out like J. Cole and um, the... And the openers on that, which I don't think he gets enough credit for for this in, in general, is his two openers are ASAP Rocky and Kendrick, wow. which wow. you know, like that that was his tour with, was with ASAP and Kendrick as his openers, which is like tour. yeah, like yeah, that's that's crazy. That's crazy. That this is in a USC advertising. Right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so so you know, we come back, we're, we're hanging out, um, you know, still kind of uh, you know buzzed off the concert, and my roommate who I, I didn't really know that well at the time, 
so I was living with with random roommates at Gateway. Yeah, actually, so um, Gateway. Yeah, uh, and that was when Gateway was still kind of cool. Like it was, New, the se- yeah. it was the it was the second year of Gateway. Okay. Um, so it wasn't you know it wasn't it wasn't like the best place at the time, but it, it was still kind of uh, popping. So, uh, so we're we're hanging out, and my roommate texts me, and he's like, hey. Um, you know, I'm at Drake's house right now. Like, you guys should come. I can get you guys in. <laughs> and at this point, it's like 12:45. And again, it's like a random like Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday night. Yeah. Uh, I have class at like 9 a.m. So we started talking. Me and my friend started talking, and and uh, our other friend was there, and then my, my friend's girlfriend. There's four of us. We're like, you know, should we do this? It's it's gonna be, you know, by the time we get to Calabasas, it's yeah. gonna be like almost 1:30. Like, you know, this is kind of crazy. Like, all right, let's go, let's do it. So we get ready, we drive there, get there like 1.30, we pull up to the gate, and, you know, we start, we talk to the security guard, we're like, hey, we're, we're here for Drake's party. And then, you know, he's like, what? <laughs> he's like, who the hell are you guys? Like, you know, we're just like college kids, like, you know. Uh, <laughs> so, so he calls the house, and he like, you know, we give him our names, and they have no idea who the hell we are. So they're yeah. like, no, like they can't come in. So luckily, my, my friend, I guess, is, I guess he's good at, at he's strategic. He, he's, he yeah. thinks on his feet. So uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been to Hidden Hills or seen it, but like there's kind of like a parking lot in front of the gate. Okay. So we, we pull out, we, we park in the parking lot, and he comes up with the idea that we should, you know, call the security guard and pretend to be someone from Drake's party and be like, these people are, you know, are, are uh, going to be, wow. you know, coming to pick up their friends. Yeah. So we wait like five minutes. He calls. He kind of puts, you know, changes his voice a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I forgot the name he used. Some random name. And he's like, hey, like, you know, the, the uh, you know, these people are going to be coming to pick up their, their drunk friend. Uh, can you just let him in? Like, they're not going to be staying, whatever. So... Uh, the security guard says, yeah, which That's crazy. I, I think this has to be the worst security guard in, in the world, like ever. Um, so so we, we come back a couple of minutes later. He lets us in. We get in. And now we have no idea where the hell we're going. And, and we're, te- we're texting our friend, but he's not responding. Uh, and so we're like, we have no idea where we're going. So we're driving around. And we start seeing like white limos like drive in. So we're like, well, we'll follow those. Yeah. So we, we finally, you know, kind of follow them. They end up going, like, a different to a different place, but we kind of figure it out somehow. And we, we get there. We park across the street. We, we walk up. We tell them, you know, we're here for the party. And they're like, you know, you guys can't park here. You got to park at Babies. And we're like, what the hell is Babies? <laughs> and so they're like, you guys got to leave. You got to park at Babies. Take the shuttle over. So we're like, okay. Uh, I guess we gotta leave. So yeah. so we leave, and then we realize across the street is the Commons, which has a Babies R Us. So we go to Babies R Us <laughs> and we park in the parking lot, <laughs> and then there's like randomly just like a shuttle pulls up. It was like some, it was like some secret agent shit. Like, uh, oh uh, so then like this white shuttle pulls up, and they're like, "Sorry, are you here for Drake's party?" We're like, "Yeah." So we go in the shuttle. Then eventually we we we, we pull up back to the house. So I was 19 at the time. Uh, the other three people I was with were, were all 21, so they check our IDs. Uh, I had a fake ID. Uh, <laughs> shout, shout out ID chief. RIP. So, so yeah, so I had a fake ID. I, I get in. My two buddies get in, but my friend's girlfriend forgot her ID, 
And she was like, it's okay, like, go in without me, like, I'll just take the shuttle back to the car, I'll wait, like, this is, like, yeah, a once-in-a-lifetime yeah. opportunity, you know, just hang out. But my buddy, who's the same buddy who, who had the idea to, to fake the fake the name yeah. and get us in, he kind of starts, like, talking back to the security, like, come on, we're all 21, like, she's a girl, like, we all know, like, yeah. you know, in, in college, the girls kind of get into stuff, they, they don't yeah. even need an ID sometimes, like, yeah. so... Uh, then the security guard's kind of like, well, who the hell do you guys even know here? Like, you know, like, why? So then he, he kicks us out. And luckily, the, my friend uh, who originally, you know, told us about the party, he, he was with a girl who had also snuck in who didn't have her ID. And they got kicked out. So they went back to USC to get her ID. So they went and got, we called them and we're like, can you get my, you know, my friend's girlfriend's ID? So they went and got her ID. They, like, they went to her sorority wow. and like picked it up at like two, you know, wow, two, yeah. two thirty, whatever yeah. it is now. So they come back at this point, it's now like 3 a.m. We've been waiting back in the parking lot for like 30, 45 minutes. Uh, and we, we get back on the shuttle, we get back, we apologize and they let us in. And... I don't know. I don't like. So there was like already like ten things that had to happen yeah, for this, yeah, to, to right. buy, you know, whatever. So we, we get in and it it was amazing. Um, the the house was incredible. Uh, J Cole was there. Nice. Betting people thousands of dollars in basketball. So we were like play like it's like a double basketball court. So we were playing on the other court, like kind of just watching them, like yeah. uh, you know, shooting contests and stuff. Uh, they had a chef just making like steak and chicken and. Just yeah, casual. <laughs> they had party. they had a couple waitresses walking around with just like trays of shots, and then you go to like the bar, and it's literally just like every type of expensive alcohol you could think of, and it, it was really cool. But what I noticed from from being such a big Drake fan was that there's probably like 50, 60 people there, but it was like ten to fifteen guys, and all of them were like his his crew, like all OBO yeah. guys, yeah. like his close friends. And then it was all just like girls who uh, apparently they had like picked out from the from the concert, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like co come back here. So it was kind of a weird thing where I was like, you know, I like I want to meet Drake, introduce myself, whatever, yeah. say thanks for having me. But I'm also like, all you know, I, I don't want to be like thanks yeah. for letting me sneak into your party. Yeah, so yeah, it was yeah, like right. a weird thing. Uh, so uh, we go into like the the pool room and he's there playing FIFA with his boys and uh, you know we started playing pool and stuff hanging out so the party lasts till about like 6 a.m we, we had one interaction with him where like we, we kind of walked by in his hallway and kind of just like said uh, head yeah, nod yeah, you yeah, know classic, classic head nod, head nod. <laughs> yeah. uh but then at the end we're like all right we have nothing to lose like they're about to kick us out like yeah. we should just you know it's it, it's sunny now or like you know the sun's coming <laughs> up uh we, we should say something but at that point he was on the couch with the girl having an intimate conversation <laughs> yeah yeah we're like we're not gonna interrupt that yeah. uh so I, I didn't get to introduce myself or say thank you, but um, it was still a crazy night, and I didn't go to class. That, that was <laughs> And that's going to wrap up part two of episode 50. I hope you enjoyed recapping all of our guests, some of our favorite moments from all the reviews. Man, that was a fun time. It's been a fun year. It absolutely has. You know, I think we got greater things coming. Oh. Striving for greatness, as LeBron would say. A lot of great interviews coming up, some things we can't even talk about because they're yeah. so special, they're so hot behind the scenes. So stay tuned for that. Episode 51 coming at you shortly. Thank you for rocking with us. Episode 50, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes. Great Comment, stars. Rate and review on iTunes. We'll read your ratings and reviews on air if you do it. 
And uh, we got a couple giveaways coming up, I'm pretty sure. A couple things that involve leaving reviews and comments. So if you want to get a jump on that right now, why don't you go ahead and leave us five stars. Leave us something funny in your reviews. Maybe we'll read it on the show. Maybe we won't because we don't like you, Josh. Boom. <laughs> America got a thing for this gangster shit. They love me. Black chuckers, black scully, leather Pele Pele. I take spin over rainbow shit. I'm a fan dude, got that silver duct tape on my tray handle. The women in my life bring confusion to shit. So like Nino and New Jack, I'll cancel that bitch. Look at me. This is the life I chose. Niggas around me so cold. Man, my heart gun froze. I build an empire on a load of knocks. Don't know I'm the weatherman. I take that cocoa leaf and make that snow. Sit back.